right, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Today we're going to focus on Romans 8, verses 23 to 25. The groaning and the glory, part 2. And I want you to grasp that your hope in Christ cannot be overcome by your groaning. That nothing can extinguish your hope of glory. Let me ask you, when did you last groan? When did you last groan? And what was it about? The state of the world, maybe? Maybe the sinfulness that drags you down? Maybe just the many frustrations of this life? Maybe it's your, your failing body? But groaning isn't grumbling. It's not, you know, I, I don't like the food, or I don't like my family, or um, and it's not gossiping either. Did you hear what she said? Did you see what he did? It's not that. What we're going to see today is what Christian groaning really is and how it can lead to more gospel-centeredness as God sanctifies us on the way to glorification. So if you're able, I want you to stand with me. I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to read the same verses I read last week, this entire passage, Romans 8, 18 through 27. We're focusing on this threefold groaning in these verses. Creation groans, Christians groan, and the Spirit groans. Today, our groaning as Christians. So Romans, chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. This is God's word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God and Lord we thank you for your word and I pray Lord that you would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word I pray Lord that we would obey what you instruct us in your word and we would trust you and that we would express our love for you, and we thank you, and we pray, pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So God wants you to see that your hope in Christ cannot be overcome, that nothing can extinguish our hope of glory. So we have seen that creation groans, now we're going to see how Christians groan, and then next week, the spirit groaning. We grow now, believers grow now, in hope of future glory. The glory to reveal, that's the resurrected bodies of Christians, our glorified state, 
And dwelling on that glory, as we have seen, if you dwell on that glory, it makes a lot of difference in your life. It can eclipse your suffering, it flips your perspective in, in the right way and changes everything. Last week we saw four things creation goes through in terms of the groaning. This is the personification of creation here. That verse 19, the creation waits with eager longing. Verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility. Verse 21, the creation will be set free. But then verse 22, that the whole creation has been groaning and is groaning to the very moment. And will groan until that day. Now next week we're going to see how the Spirit helps us in our weakness. But what we see in all of this is how bad sin is, how much sin ruins things, but how amazing Jesus is and how great salvation is. How our hope in Christ cannot be overcome. The question today really is, what's the nature of the groaning of a Christian? What's the nature of a Christian's groaning now in light of future glorification? And what we'll see in this passage is first the source of, of our groaning, secondly, the focus of our groaning, and then third, the reality of our groaning. So the source, the focus, and the reality of our groaning, that basically comprises our outline today. So we'll look first at the source of our groaning, verse 23. The source of our groaning is the Spirit of God. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, I'm groaning about something else. It's, you know, I'm groaning about life. I'm groaning about my wife. I'm groaning about, you know, things not going right. The source of a Christian's groaning is the Spirit of God. Our groaning is Spirit-led. We groan, as verse 23 tells us, having the first fruits of the Spirit. So our groaning is Spirit-led. Verse 23 says, not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Interesting phrase, first fruits of the Spirit. So think in, in terms of an orchard. The first fruit to show on tree provides hope of future fruit. So yesterday I'm with my, my neighbors and we're about to walk our dogs and they say, hey Mike, come over here and eat this fruit off our tree. It was called a jujube actually. And not the candy, but an actual fruit. And it was awesome. I'm like, wow, I cannot wait to have another one of those. So I'm looking forward to future fruit on that tree. We've been picking pomegranates off our tree recently and more are getting ripe and the strawberry guava is is about to start getting ripe and so the first fruit to show on the tree provides hope of future fruit so we have the first fruits of the spirit we're indwelt by the spirit of god christians are and the fruit of the spirit is getting produced in us and through us now by the spirit how do you know that galatians 5 22 and 23 what that does, you see the Spirit of God working in your life, and you see love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and things like that, and the Spirit is producing that in your life. You don't need to say, I, I got to work on these things. The Spirit is working on you, and you see these, this fruit, and what it does is it gives you hope for more fruit, and it gives you hope that one day you will be fully like Christ. That God is making you like Christ now, and that he one day will make you fully like Christ. And it tells you something. It tells you God's at work in your life. You don't have to worry, like, am I really a believer or not? You, you can know for sure. This is what Romans 8 has been telling us over and over and over again, right? You can know for sure that you belong to Christ. 
And so, this verse, verse 23, it really tells us something that we have and that we don't have yet. So something we already have and something we don't already have. So we already have the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits, again, of an incoming harvest were literally the first crop, a foretaste of what was to come. So the Spirit has made us alive. The Spirit is working in us. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We see fruit of the Spirit. We have hope for future glory. We have hope for Christ-likeness in the future. What we don't have is that full freedom yet that we long for. See, God is progressively freeing us from the effects of sin and death, and he's making us like Christ, Romans 8, 29, but we only have the first fruits. So the foretaste of the freedom from the effects of sin and death that the Spirit will one day give us fully, we just have the first part. So we have the first fruits, we don't have the full freedom yet. But I want you to remember this. The source of your groaning, if you're a believer, is the Spirit of God. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, all human beings groan. All human beings groan living in a world under sin. But Christian groaning is different. This is what you need to grasp. Christian groaning is different. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, don't mistake this. That doesn't mean we only have part of the Spirit of God. Like, oh, we only have the first part of the Spirit of God as opposed to the fullness of the Spirit. What this means, that we have the first fruits of the Spirit, is that the Spirit of God dwells in every believer. Indwelling every believer, Romans 8, 9, and it's the first fruit of greater harvest to come. The Spirit is progressively making you more like Christ. You will be with Him forever in eternity. You're a Christian today, here's what you know. And you're able to say this in, 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 your, in your own way. But God graciously and mercifully invaded my heart. God, God has given me a guarantee and a glimpse of glory to come. And it can't be taken away. Ephesians 1.12 says that the spirit indwelling us is the guarantee of our inheritance. A guarantee. It's the guarantee. Romans 8.11 says the guarantee of our resurrection. So Christian groaning, you don't want to get Christian groaning wrong like, oh, you know, life is so bad. Christian groaning is not a heartless cry into empty space where you say, you know, wow, this is so bad living here on earth. It's not where you grumble and, and doubt. It is a cry given by the Holy Spirit, the, the spirit of adoption, pointed towards our heavenly Father and longing for Christ's return. That's the groaning of a Christian. It's the Revelation 22, verse 20 cry, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. It's 1 Corinthians 16, 22. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. It's Matthew 6, 10. Your kingdom come. That's the cry. That's the cry as... As we, as we groan, as we, as we see growth in our life, and as we see lack of growth in our life, and as we groan for future glory, it's like my yard, and it's like my garden. And in our yard at home, we've got fruit trees. We've got a little bit of uh, vegetables left that the varmints haven't all, all eaten. And then we have a smattering of weeds. 
You'll always have these. You've got to work at it to get them out. But if you don't work at them, it will take over. But you see some growth. You see some lack of growth. And you have the groaning as you are holding, really, and as, the, as, as, as God is holding on to you with a guarantee, and there's fruit coming out in your life, and you're getting glimpses of what God is making you to be, who God is making you to be getting glimpses of that and you see it in believers closest to you you see it in your spouse and your kids and your friends and and people that you are associated with you you see these glimpses of what God is making us to be notice too that the the groaning is inward that we who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly and Paul is talking about this if you go over to second Corinthians chapter 5 We'll look at some verses there, uh, beginning at verse 1, 2 Corinthians. He uses the same word for groaning, this idea of this longing for heaven. Verse 1, he says, We know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, and in this tent we groan. Now, a tent is made for temporary dwelling. We know that there are people who live in tents all the time and, and we actually groan for them, wishing they could have a more, a more permanent dwelling. But you're not supposed to live in your tent all the time. You just take it camping or something and then you, you use it for a few days and you, you put it away. This is the idea of the temporary nature of our time here on earth. We know that this tent, this, this body that we're dwelling in, it, we groan in it, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. For while we are in this tent, we groan, same word, being burdened that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And so we are we're groaning. In fact, he goes on to say, if we, we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord and we walk by faith, not by sight, and we would rather be away from the body and to be home with the Lord, but either way, we want to please God. Just the groaning and the source is the Spirit of God. The source of a Christian's groaning is the Spirit of God. Now move with me over to, stay in this verse, but move with me to the second point, the focus of our groaning. The focus of our groaning is adoption, redemption. So our groaning involves this expectant waiting. We groan while waiting for adoption and redemption of our bodies. Notice we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. So the waiting eagerly is just like the creation's waiting that got personified where you're looking forward eagerly to something when you're waiting expectantly for something and you can't wait. And it says what you can't wait for is adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. This is an interesting thing. Now you've got adoption put together with redemption of our bodies. So how, how can that, those two things be equated? Because usually we think we were adopted into God's family, which is true. You were adopted into God's family. Now you don't have the redemption of your body yet, but how can those two things really be you know, the same thing? And here's why. Adoption, now usually in the Bible, and it's not seen a lot in the Bible. It's pretty rare in the New Testament, but it's usually in the past or present tense. We, we were adopted, we are adopted. Here it is spoken of in the future. We are waiting for adoption. 
And the idea is the process of adoption began with God's choice of you, Ephesians 1.5, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, and then you became God's child at, at conversion when you came to faith in Christ, but there is a, a future at glorification, the full realization of the inheritance. So the idea here of putting adoption and redemption together is that you will fully and finally have that freedom of the children of God in glory so that your adoption is, is fully formed at that point because it says that it's the, the redemption of our body. Now it's just not, not just your physical body but all of your remaining fallenness that you live with now, the sin that so easily entangles you and clings to you. We long for the day when our bodies, as Romans 7, 24 calls it our, this body of death, where our bodies will be redeemed and our adoption fully complete. This is the idea. Even as we live sin-tainted lives, even as the sin so easily clings to us. Just the other day, I was out in my garage, and I'm working on some tools kind of stuff, and there's just grease all over my hands. And I'm, I'm taking a towel, and I'm, I'm just not getting the grease off. And, and I go in the house, and I try to wash my hands, and there's just, I still can see grease under my fingernails here. And it's like, it just wouldn't come off. And then I'm working on something on a bike, and there's this sticky stuff, and I couldn't get it off my hands. That's how it is a lot of times how you feel with sin. It's just clinging to you. But Jesus frees us. He frees us from uh, the penalty of sin. He frees us from the, the power of sin to some degree. But one day he's going to free us from the presence of sin. And what this passage is really explaining is it's explaining our life. It's explaining our life as believers. How, how things fall apart how things deteriorate, how things decay. I think about my knees, you know, I live with them daily and they hurt daily and if I sit too long and when I get up, they, they hurt. I, my knees aren't, aren't, once, aren't what they once were. I can't, you know, go running like I used to as much. I, I, I've got to do the, the walking and the hiking thing because the knees are a little bit more feeble than the mileage, right, has, has just affected them. The last three weeks, my ribs have been hurting every single day. When I breathe in, they hurt, and it's, it was somewhat self-inflicted, but a wave at the beach really got me. <laughs> you think that's funny, do you? <laughs> Thank you very much. Our bodies break down, right? They break down. Uh, muscles lose their strength. Tendons, elasticity, things grow old. Now, if you're really young... I don't want to burst the bubble for you, but we don't keep growing and growing and getting better and better. We do reach an apogee point where we begin to slide on the downward slope. And we don't naturally regenerate. God initiates and sustains our regeneration spiritually. But these tents we're living in, they're wasting away. And so the groaning you got the groaning in your soul. you got the groaning in, in the body. You've got everything coming into your life. And, and you just go, well, we're not there yet, but we will be. Glory for a Christian is guaranteed. We're legally adopted by God, but we haven't received the full inheritance yet. 
We're growing into what God is making us to be. He is remaking us. The family resemblance is showing, but it's not fully formed. That's why Paul even said, I'm in labor until Christ is fully formed in you. The source of our groaning, the Spirit of God, but the focus of that groaning is our adoption, the full and final culmination of it, and, and the redemption of our body. Now move on with me to verses 24 and 25 because we got to look at the reality of this. The reality of our groaning, and this is where it gets really tough, is patient endurance. We, we have a hard time putting those two words together, don't we? Our groaning is accompanied, must be accompanied by endurance. We patiently wait because our groaning is full of hope. We groan with certain hope of future glory. We can't wait till that day comes. We want to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. We have citizenship in heaven, but we have trouble being patient and waiting. We want it now. Look at verse 24. In this hope we were saved. The hope of resurrection, the hope of redemption, the hope of of full adoption. But hope that is seen isn't hope. Well, we don't like to wait for things we don't see. We want to see it and we want to see the, the outcome. But hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? Hope is Christian hope is not wishful thinking. Christian hope is built on certainty that you cannot see. That's tough for us. It's unseen, it's imperishable, it's unquenchable. And, and if you grieve and you groan without hope, you're hopeless, right? We read 1 Thessalonians 4 at every Christian funeral, pretty much, and we just say, you know, we don't grieve as the rest do who have no hope. On Christ the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. We have no hope apart from Christ. But ours is a counterintuitive hope. It's unseen. We walk by faith, not by sight. Octavius Winslow said this, Extinguish hope in the human heart, and you have enthroned grim despair, like a demon of darkness upon the soul. Life has lost its sweetness. All the future of the soul is shrouded in midnight gloom. That's what happens if, you, if, if someone lives without hope. Now, I haven't said anything publicly about the pastor from Chino that committed suicide on August 27th. Many of you know about this story. It grieves our hearts. I haven't said a word in public about it, but I've thought about it a lot. You think all through all these things of why? Think about your life. Think about all the why questions that you're asking. Why is this going on? Why does this remain? Why does this keep happening? What is going on? And you've got to come back to the same answer every single time. Only God knows. Only God knows. But what we do know, what we can know with assurance, the truth is that there is hope in Jesus Christ. And our hope is real because God is real. And he is the anchor for our souls. Our hope in Christ is the anchor for our souls. We cling to that. But the awesome thing is God God holds on to us. Verse 25 says, If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it. 
This is where it gets tough. We're looking forward eagerly. We're awaiting expectantly. We're on tiptoe. We can't wait, but we're waiting for it with patience. All of us impatient souls. We're waiting for it with patience, with steadfastness, with endurance, with perseverance. The reality of our groaning is patient endurance. Two words that are really hard for us to put together and to live. Our rescue is in hope. We have not yet seen, we have not yet experienced it fully, but the implication is that we wait for it with patience. You trudge through this life, and sometimes you're skipping with joy, and sometimes you're down in the depths of despair, but the direction of your life, the Godward direction of your life, knowing that God is using suffering to work his goodwill in and through your life, And God is using the scriptures to work patient endurance in us, as Romans 15, 4 and 5 says. But isn't it interesting, this this unique melding of eagerness with patience in verse 25? It's very unique. Eagerness with patience. It bears repeating often to our own hearts and to our friends and family and loved ones. It, It bears reminding ourselves often You know, here's the bad news. This isn't heaven. So all your attempts to make heaven on earth are going to fail. That's the bad news for you. This isn't heaven. But let me give you the good news. This isn't heaven. That's such good news. The source, the groaning, the spirit of God, the the focus of the groaning, the adoption, the redemption. But the reality of the groaning is patient endurance is called for. You know, Jesus says, I, apart from you, apart from me, I can do nothing. We can do nothing apart from Jesus. He, he holds all things together by the counsel of his word. We cannot do anything of eternal value apart from Jesus. And patient endurance is the same. There, we can't do that on our own. The perseverance of the saints it happens because the Holy Spirit works in the lives of believers to persevere them. If you're persevering right now in your life, it's because God is persevering you. And I've I come across two really life-changing thoughts from this passage this week that I want to share with you. The first is this. The groaning is not over what's not going right in my life. Okay, the groaning is not over what's not going right in my life. The groaning is me longing for God to take away every ounce of sin in me. If you're groaning about someone else right now, your focus is wrong. If you're groaning about all the things that are happening to you in life, your focus is wrong. If you're groaning, longing for God to take away every ounce of sin in you, you're right on point with Romans 8. You you grieve over the remaining sinfulness in your life. You're weighed down by it. You're, You're sorry for it. You're grieved over your sinfulness. And even as God is sanctifying you and you're on the way to glorification, you're longing for the remaining sinfulness in your life to be eradicated. You will groan over the state of affairs in the world. People do that. That's not Christian groaning. You will groan over the actions of others. People do that. But a Christian's groaning, apart from what happens to humans in general, will primarily be inward about where your heart is at where your heart is at. You will groan about your aching knees and your 
hard relationships, but the heart of your groaning will be in the heart cry of, 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 of a believer who's seeking relief from the misery of sin. You're groaning. We are longing for mercy. We love to talk about grace. Grace gives us what we do not deserve. Mercy, God in mercy holds back the punishment our sins deserve. I greeted someone before first hour like this today. I said, good morning, how are you doing? They said, oh, we're doing, I'm doing well. I said, well, you're doing better than you deserve because you deserve hell. It's a loving thing to say, right? We're groaning over our sin. We're groaning over our sinfulness. We're wanting God to give us relief from the misery sin brings. We're longing for the day where we'll finally be free. The Spirit is indwelling us, and, and we are waiting patiently for God's perfect timing. Our eyes are on heaven. Our feet are on the ground. And, 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 our, and our groaning, our cry from the Spirit is, we're, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to engage in fruitful ministry. I'm going to go through and suffer this life because I'm heaven-bound. Go over to Psalm 38. Psalm th- I love the Psalms. I love the Psalms, and there's so much groaning in the Psalms, isn't there? So much groaning, but there's also so much glory. And, and you read a Psalm, and it starts with groaning, but it ends in glory. And sometimes you read a Psalm, and it's just all groaning, and you're like, I don't want to read that. But the, the general pattern of the Psalms is you start with the groaning, and, and then you lead to the glory. But Psalm 38, verse 1, just the Cry for God's mercy. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. It's a humble-hearted cry. For your arrows have sunk into me, your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. This is David writing this. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Look to the very end, verse 22. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. You are my salvation. From you, mercy comes. We're crying out to God for mercy. Richard Sibbs has a book. He's an old Puritan writer. It was called The Bruised Reed, and just about people that are suffering through life and are just downcast over what is going on in life. And here's what he wrote. He said, for further declaration... Of Christ's mercy to all bruised reeds, consider the comfortable relationship he has taken upon himself of husband, shepherd, and brother, which he will discharge to the utmost. No one can do this but Jesus. Consider the names he has borrowed from the mildest creatures, such as a lamb and hen, to show his tender care. Consider his very name Jesus, a savior given him by God himself. Consider his office answerable to his name, which is that he should bind up the brokenhearted. Isaiah 61.1. At his baptism, the Holy Spirit rested on him in the shape of a dove to show that he should be a dove-like gentle mediator. And then he says this, the lion of the tribe of Judah will only tear in pieces those who will not have him rule over them. He will not show his strength against those who prostrate themselves before him. Charles Spurgeon said, are you resting upon Christ's sacrifice? Can you approach the altar of God with humble hope? 
If so, rest assured, you will never be swept away with sinners. A heart that's been humbled by the grace of God in Christ continually puts itself at God's mercy. Now, if you're not a believer, you've got to come to Christ. Give him your burden of sin, the burden you've been carrying for far, far too long, thinking you're going to work it out, thinking something will fall into place. You can unload your burden on him. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe he died for your sins, was buried, was risen on the third day, is ascended to the Father, is returning. A humble heart puts itself at God's mercy. So this idea of groaning, not being over what isn't going right in my life, but longing for God to take away every ounce of sin in me is really transforming. The second idea is that since the Holy Spirit inspires our groaning, then it is a good groaning for good glory to come even while we suffer this life. So because the Holy Spirit inspires our groaning, it is a good groaning of good, for good glory to come even as you suffer this life. It's a good groaning. Again, that you think, well, is that an oxymoron? Not if it's inspired by the Spirit of God. Now, the universe of glory differs hugely from the universe of decay under sin. One is burdened under the weight of man's sin. One will be beautified by the weight of God's glory. This is what we look forward to. There's a handwritten sign on a chalkboard easel outside of a bar in Boise, Idaho. And it said this, you treat an outside wound with rubbing alcohol. You treat an inside wound with drinking alcohol. How, how heartbreakingly sad that this is the answer we give ourselves. The wounds of your heart can only be bound up by the sovereign Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, no wonder creation longs for that great day that will come. The groaning of creation, by the way, you go back to the groaning of creation, it's not the death throes of creation. It's the birth pangs of a renewed and restored creation where all things will be made new. The glory that we anticipate as believers is very big glory. It is the resurrection of the righteous. It is the restoration of the universe. It is the redeemed humanity in Christ, much bigger than having your own mansion in heaven. Much bigger than a place that God is preparing for you. It is cosmic glory to come. You see, within the groaning creation lies a groaning church. Groaning together. The same word used of Christians in 2 Corinthians 5. One writer put it this way, it's a symphony of size. A symphony of, of size. Creation waiting in hope. Christians waiting in hope. Same word in verse 19, 23, and 25. And then go all the way to the end of Romans, almost to the end of Romans, in Romans 15. I love this. There's so much hope, so much hope in Romans. Look at Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope, he's the God of love, he's the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. An anchor for our souls. Firm, steadfast, entering within the veil. All from God. Hope is God's territory, planted in human hearts. The cross and the empty tomb proving God's love, giving us family inheritance, protecting his children, the Spirit protecting his children, preserving God's investment in us, and Jesus is waiting to take his bride away. We're groaning in anticipation. So how? How do we be doers of this word? How do we, how do we put this into practice? I think you need to embrace... Good, painful groaning. Embrace good, painful groaning. And you do it through praise. We come together to praise. We assemble to praise. We praise alone and with others. We, we cry out to God, my soul finds rest in God alone. The psalmist, Psalm 62. We praise the glories of God's grace in Christ. This is why we sing God-centered songs and not man-centered songs at grace. We want to set our hearts on gospel hope. Praise God. This is, how you, this is how you embrace good, painful groaning. And prayer. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our griefs and sins to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And the perfect word of God, unadulterated, untwisted, just unleashed to renew your mind and restore your soul, remind you of truth. And focus you on what is praiseworthy and excellent and right and true and pure and lovely and admirable and noble. And do all those things. Praise God and and pray and put yourself under the perfect word. So many times we're we're groaning and we just we don't want to praise God. We don't want to pray. We don't want to we don't want to go under the word. We just want to be miserable sometimes, right? But this is where you need to process these things with others. Resolve not to waste the groaning on, on frivolous things, but in, embrace good groaning for freedom from sin and entrance into heaven. Even groaning for glory while you grieve great loss. This summer, of, of, the wife of, of, a, of a good, good friend of mine passed on. I, I knew them both very well and and this man whose wife died it was one of my pastoral mentors. Known him since I was a brand new believer. Known him since right before I was a believer. And he's been talking to me and talking and sharing what he's going through. And it's, it's been helping me and teaching me. But spiritually, he says, I have no doubts about where my wife is or about my faith. But I'm struggling greatly. And we've been talking and he even told me, he said, you can share what I tell you with anyone you want. He said, emotionally, I'm a wreck. I'm angry at God at the moment. I have a lot of questions why. No answers at the moment, but I have to go through it. I don't understand. The scripture says we grieve differently, not as those without hope, but the hard part is not letting my emotions dictate my relationship with God. He says the answers don't lie within us. All all the what-ifs. He's telling me these things. He's saying, mentally, I can't grasp the whole situation. I'm bouncing between stages of grief, painful process. And he says, it's hard to to share with just anyone because of what people will think. Pastors have to grieve too. He says, my friend Gary, he says, God is not as concerned with our happiness as our obedience. And he can take hearing what we think 
And we can be honest with him and, and know that his thoughts are infinitesimally higher than ours. Many are the plans of men, but the Lord directs our paths. He gave me that verse, and he says, I'm living in an empty home. God fills the void, but the void of my wife still remains. But God is faithful. I've been very encouraged by the scripture-infused pain that this man is going through. Honest process of grief. You have to do that with people. Be comforted in Christ and clinging to the word, but, but be connected in relationship. I just wrote to my friend yesterday, to Gary, and I said, Jesus is, is Lord over all, and he's so good to us, and his grace is sufficient. And he said, I want to trust his perfect timing and provision, but it's difficult right now. He's been reading a book about reflections of a grieving spouse by Norm Wright, and he says, you know, he wrote it after his wife passed away, and so it's painful reading, but it's helping me understand what's happening to me and what I'm going through. And he says, I wish I would have known about this book earlier. I would have been a better pastor. And then he said this. He goes, I'm, I stand and cry during worship, hearing, missing hearing Betty's voice and her holding my hand and leaning into me and, and the normal life with her. And he says, I hate what I'm going through right now, but I go. He even says, I don't want to go to church, but I do it because I know I must. And, and his honest process is sobering me and teaching me not to waste the groaning on frivolous things, but, but embrace good groaning, good painful groaning for freedom from sin and entrance to heaven. He wants to go to heaven more now than he ever has before. But remember to process it. You, we are in this together. This is no solo journey in Christ. This is like the difference between fishing alone and, or with friends, seriously. I, I fished the same stream three weeks apart this summer, and the first time with two friends from Grace, the second time alone. Same stream. It was nice to be alone when I was alone, but it was way better with my friends. We had support. We, we could celebrate when we caught a fish, the one that was caught, and, and we could commiserate not catching. We could buddy up. We could journey together. We could be connected, and this is Christianity uh, with people. Uh, it's a team sport. It's interdependent. So, so knowing that the source of your groaning is the Spirit, knowing the focus is, is adoption and redemption and glory, but knowing that the reality is, is patient endurance. You've got to praise God. You've got to pray. You've got to be under the perfect word. And you've got to process it with people. Lord, we thank you that we long for freedom that only you can give. Lord, we thank you that our groaning is not over what isn't going right in our life. It's, it's longing for you to take away every ounce of sin in us. And thank you, Lord, that the spirit of glory, the spirit of adoption, inspires our groaning for good glory to come even while we suffer this life. Thank you, Lord, that nothing can extinguish our hope of glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen.